power on. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah, I might want to use that sometime, Bill. Well, thanks, Rock. And it really is an honor to have you here. Believe it or not, I'm a big fan of yours. For instance, I know that you're a five-time WWF champion, not to mention one of the top entertainers in the world. Bill, I'm very flattered. I'm a big fan of yours as well. Uh, for instance, The Rock knows you're the chairman and chief software architect of the Microsoft Corporation, a leading worldwide provider of software for the personal computer. <laughs> Thank you, Rock. I'm, I'm very flattered myself. By creating Windows, by creating Windows in 1983, a multitasking graphical user interface environment that runs on MS-DOS-based computers along with Windows NT and Windows 2000, completely self-contained operating systems that feature networking, uh, symmetric multi-processing, multi-threading, and uh, security. Bill, you've certainly revolutionized the technology we know today. Wow. Rock, that is impressive. But let, let's move on. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You also like golf. That's true, I, I do. But today isn't about me, Rock. It's about the future of video games. Bill Gates, you never cease to amaze the Rock. <laughs> never cease to amaze the Rock. You're right again. Today isn't about you. It's about the new Xbox. And quite frankly, I couldn't be more excited. The Xbox is everything The Rock is, cutting edge, powerful, exhilarating, and like The Rock, it will be the most electrifying thing coming out this year. And what The Rock is to sports entertainment, to the WWF, the Xbox will be to the video game industry, a breakthrough and certainly an original. I mean, The Rock doesn't impress easily, Bill, you know that, but I'm pretty damn impressed with what we're seeing here today. And considering that this Xbox at this moment is only running on one-fifth of the system's power, it's very impressive. Uh, Bill, do you have any idea what The Rock would be like if he were only running on one-fifth of his power? Well, I, I would think that... It doesn't matter what you think, Bill. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Bill. It, it's, it's just a force of habit. Rock apologizes. No, The Rock, even at one-fifth of his power, would still blow everybody out of the water, just like the Xbox. It is truly the future of video games, and I'm very excited to simply be a part of it if you smell what The Rock is cooking. Thank you. Great job. The Rock says... The Rock... The Rock... The Rock says... Nice guy. Now entering the gaming grid. The latest gaming news, reviews, and retro culture, as only the man of tomorrow can deliver. And here's your host, Brian Sovereign. You know, there's an incredible irony <laughs> in that audio that was just played. 
considering that I've basically seen, you know, as someone who's been a, a, a fan of the rock here and there, uh, I don't think I've ever seen the guy use like a Microsoft product ever. He's always sharing picture, you know, it's all from his iPhone or he's sharing pictures of his MacBook or whatever. Uh, <laughs> so for him to be playing so nice, nice with Bill Gates. Uh, anyway, that is a, a presentation that somewhat lives, uh, down in, in, in infamy as it were. Uh, in fact, we are, when this episode is going to get released would really just be a matter of weeks away from the 20 year anniversary of when that announcement originally happened, um, which was in January of 2001. So coming, I mean, so if you didn't notice, and I'm sure you did from the opening, <laughs> we are doing, it is the man of tomorrow. Savzu, the rated R radio star, Dr. Brian sovereign here to do another little sovereign top eight, refreshing our top eight games for varying platforms and consoles in 2020. And this is all about the original Xbox or what often gets called the OG Bex, uh, Xbox, the OG Xbox. This is a system. I mean, now, you know, Xbox is absolutely, I, I mean, it, it's a, it's a gaming brand powerhouse. I mean, it is really filled in the slot I would say as the number three player, which is the slot that Sega held for many years. Um, or at least once you got out of the, you know, the, the Genesis generation, uh, you know, that, that Sega really seemed to be playing, uh, not just second fiddle, but third fiddle. And I feel like the Xbox has always been in the same category while granted the Xbox 360, uh, would do much better for itself there's, there's so much we could talk about with the system. I don't know how often I've even really talked about the original Xbox on sovereign tech. Uh, so I think a little bit of history is in order, but it's such a weird animal, partly because it's a console that did not come out of Japan. And 95% of video game consoles came out of Japan. Uh, even PC gaming itself, the master PC race is a big deal in Japan like many things are, uh, even though I think most people consider that to be more of an American market. PC gaming is a worldwide market. You know, Nintendo is a worldwide market. Sony, the PlayStation is a worldwide market. Xbox, not so much. Um, and there are a few different reasons for that. And certainly with the first generation Xbox, that was definitely the strongest case could get made as far as that goes. Partly that has to do with games that one could call American centric in attitude, which you'd think or I think a lot of people would think that would actually go over fairly well in Japan, but no, not actually. Um, it's also coming out of, I mean, so you got to keep this in perspective, the Xbox, which was launched, uh, in 2001. Um, actually it'll be the 20th anniversary basically next year, I think in November when it launched in America, the rest of the world, it didn't come out until at least a few months to a year or so later, uh, in 2002. But my point is the original Xbox, which I'll just call the Xbox from now on. Um, I mean, any other Xbox, you know, the Xbox one, we call the X-Bone Xbox 360, you know, we call that an Xbox. Well, you know, the, the new thing, <laughs> We won't talk about it. Uh, 
But the Xbox was part of the sixth generation of consoles. So the sixth generation included the PlayStation 2, uh, which was the biggest system of that generation by leaps and bounds. Uh, I mean, get, get this straight. The original Xbox, sorry, I said I was only going to call it the Xbox from now on. Here we go. The Xbox did 24 million units sold worldwide. The PlayStation 2 did 100 million, over 100 million. Um, I mean, it, it was like that. That's not even, I mean, just look at those percentages. Okay. So the PlayStation 2, clear winner in that generation. Uh, but also in that generation were the GameCube and ironically, the Sega Dreamcast was in that generation as well. And that's an important, the Dreamcast, the relationship between the Dreamcast and the Xbox is an important one to bring up. So the Dreamcast, uh, you know, that launched in 1999, uh, there was the big, remember the big release date, nine, nine 99, right? September 9th, 1999 is when it dropped. And then it was canceled you know, discontinued, uh, not, but two years later in 2001, a lot of titles that actually would get released on the dreamcast, perhaps in other parts of the world that were sequels say to popular dreamcast titles would actually end up becoming exclusives on the Xbox. Microsoft had a couple of really, really big deals that they made for the Xbox. One being is that they got a lot of exclusivity rights again, for Sega titles to get released on the Xbox. Some of those will be on this top eight. Okay. Uh, I mean the high, the, or probably the biggest example one could think of would be like Shenmue two, which was released on the dreamcast, other parts of the world, but in America, no, in America it was only released on the Xbox and it's a tremendous fucking game. Uh, it could easily sit on this top eight. So they were able to take advantage of basically the dreamcast overflow from when it was discontinued, uh, creating a lot of really, really solid, uh, Xbox exclusive titles. Then there was also Microsoft's perhaps their biggest coup. No, not halo, even though we'll talk about that, uh, was buying rare, buying the, the game studio rare, uh, which, you know, basically brought in a lot of games really from the Nintendo 64. In fact, you'd get a remake of honor. If you listen to our Nintendo 64, uh, sovereign top eight, one of the games on there was conquers bad fur day. One of the greatest games ever made. Uh, you got a remake of that and an expansion, uh, even though, you know, there's some people who have some issues with it because it was actually a little ironically on the Xbox, which I think a lot of people feel is more of an extreme, uh, system. Well, more extreme as in, you know, more adult, right. As to where everybody, you know, thinks that for whatever reason, they think Nintendo systems are kitty systems. Uh, no, <laughs> I mean, they do serve, uh, a younger demographic very well, but then it's not a zero sum game, no pun intended. So it's just one of those ironies that when I think it was in 2005, it was like uh, live and loaded. I think it was conquer live and loaded when they did the remake that they actually censored stuff from the N64 version. You'd think it'd be the other way around. And it was originally supposed to be, anyway, we don't have to get down, you know, go down that road and, and explain that story. Um, but to continue on with the, the Xbox overall. So it was able to really like jam itself into the sixth generation, partly because again, it got to take that overflow uh, of games from the dreamcast you know, and, and they did a lot of really great deals with Sega. Some of which we'll talk about during the top eight, because some of those games will be on this list. Um, 
it's important to realize, and not that Microsoft is the only one that's ever experienced this. Sony has as well. Um, but they never, in fact, they might've been billions of dollars in the tank on the Xbox console hardware itself. Uh, like they, they never turned a profit on the Xbox. Microsoft was absolutely playing a very long game. I bring this up. Okay. Understand I owned an Xbox. Um, the Xbox is because of its, we'll get into it because of its nature as basically being a PC. I mean, it really was. And to some degree, the Xbox has kind of, kind of kept that, uh, uh, philosophy, uh, going forward. It is, it's a heavily moddable system. And so it's one that people still, you know, it's a system that I think people still mess with. Uh, not an, I, well, again, there's so much we could talk about here. My point being is that Microsoft, the Xbox did not, did not, did not become a success. The Xbox brand did not become a success because it had great games or because it sold well. It became a success because it was backed by one of the largest companies in the world that was making plenty of money in other places and could basically lose an ass ton of money on, you know, this, this, this bat in the video game console industry, which is really what the Xbox was. Uh, if the dreamcast did not get, uh, uh, discontinued, you know, I think we would have seen a, a very different bit of history because even though, even though, you know, Microsoft has very deep pockets, there had to have been a dollar amount. I don't know what it was, but there had to have been a dollar amount where they would have said, okay, no, we are not getting into video game consoles like that. That's just, we're, we're not going there. Uh, you know, the Xbox, it was a nice idea, but we just lost too much money. I don't know what that dollar amount was or would have been, but there had to be one. And even though, I mean, you've got Bill Gates going out there and if anything, I mean, certainly his ego was on the line, right? You don't want him going out there and something being a failure, but this is ultimately a system that did not succeed on its own merits. Uh, the Xbox 360 now different story. Okay. The 360 was, was a powerhouse. Uh, and I, I don't necessarily mean on the inside. I mean, in the industry, like the 360 was very much an unstoppable machine. Uh, I think that the 360 won the seventh generation. Uh, actually, I think it, it did so very handily at the very least in America, it did that. Um, Everybody seemed to have owned a 360. And not only that, a lot of people still own a 360. So it, it's very much the, the, if I were to put it, you know, to compare it, it's very much the PlayStation two of Microsoft's line of game consoles, in my opinion, but the original Xbox, no. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's a bad system. It's, it actually is, did a lot of really interesting things. And let's talk about some of that. So to understand the hardware itself, um, it had a, what was it a 733 megahertz at a Pentium three inside of it. That was very powerful for a game console. Understand, you know, for a computer that might seem to be, especially, you know, think about it today, that'd be a joke, but for a game console, that was outrageous. I mean, that, that was overpowered, you know, in game console terms. Uh, and also this is one of the two bigger things about it. And, and, 
I'm being kind of a, a, a kind of punny in saying bigger. It had an entire 3.5 inch hard drive in it. And that's the main reason why the Xbox was such a fucking tank. I mean, it was a big system. Uh, a lot of, you know, t- uh, tech journalists, game journalists would suggest that the reason why it wasn't big in Japan is because it was too big. Like it was just too big of a console. And in Japan, you know, space can be a premium in a lot of those high rise apartments. And that, and I know I've been there many times. I mean, I, I, I understand kind of where that's coming from. Uh, there's a reason why the GameCube was so small. Uh, and this is true for, for, for a lot of areas around the world where, you know, I mean, you think you look at an Xbox, it's like, well, it's the size of a VCR. Who cares? Uh, in other countries, believe me, those kinds of things like that kind of space, uh, you know, becomes a thing. And it's not, there's no like developing nation joke in that. Not at all. Quite the opposite. Okay. Uh, it, I mean, it was a monster of, of a system, but that's why is because it had basically PC components in it. So, uh, you had, you had that, that aspect of it. The other big part that really differentiated, uh, and I would say to this day that differentiated the Xbox. So the, the OS for, you know, the operating system for the Xbox was actually a heavily modified version of windows 2000. So heavily modified in fact, and I don't say that as, I mean, I loved windows uh, 2000. I mean, it, it, I've said at varying points on sovereign tech, I know that that was my favorite version of windows, uh, because they had all the capabilities of XP, but it looked like three, one <laughs> more or less. And, and I, I like that a lot. Uh, so the heavily modified version of basically the NT kernel that was in, um, the Xbox. What's interesting is that was a 3d operating system, meaning that it was navigated via a three dimensional plane. And so like you would literally the menus and you know, everything that you did within it would like have depth. You would, you would circle around and go, I mean, this was, and whether or not Microsoft was thinking about virtual reality at the time, I would argue the only reason that you're going to really do a, uh, a 3d OS is either a you're expecting virtual reality or B 3d televisions. They would have been well ahead of their time if they were thinking VR, uh, not to say that Microsoft hasn't been working in VR since the nineties. They have Uh HoloLens sure is, you know, a fairly newer thing, but believe me, they've had their eyes on this stuff for a very long time. The 3d television thing. Yeah. That was kind of coming in at that point or getting there. It was coming down the road. Uh, but I don't know that they would have necessarily been banking on that. And of course, 3d TVs, you know, came and went much like 3d movies and theaters did. So regardless, it is a interesting, two interesting, uh, historical tech footnotes, uh, or tech history footnotes, I guess I should say is that it did have the very first 3d operating system. And it also was the first console to actually have a hard drive in it. Now, I mean, understand like say the Sega Saturn, which I think the story of the, of the Xbox and of Sega Saturn they're actually very similar stories in many ways. Uh, the Sega Saturn, you know, a lot of people, it's, it's a funny thing. And, and I've been reintroduced to a lot of these factoids, uh, and a lot of these quirks in, uh, the past month or so, because I have gotten my, uh, my Saturn, uh, rebuilt. I have my Terra onion mode inside of it. Um, 
got my, you know, my little, uh, uh, little, you know, three, uh, SD card scaffolding from laser bear in there. I mean, like I went all out with this thing, got my action replay card and all that. And it's a funny thing, you know, cause you're looking at it and now the Xbox had, uh, had memory cards. Okay. They used flash memory, um, that you could, you know, pop into the controller, right? Just like it had a rumble pack that you could pop in. I, or I think it was a rumble pack that you could pop into the controller. It had slots on it where you could put stuff in kind of similar to the dreamcast. Uh, clearly the Xbox was taking a lot of cues from everything that Sega had done previously because, well, I imagine Microsoft knew who their competition was, right? Of course they did. Um, but the Sega Saturn had no memory card. (laughs) This is a very, like you're looking for it. It's like, well, you know, this is fifth generation. I mean, the PlayStation had memory cards, you know, the N64, where's the memory cards in this thing? There was no memory card. It was all stored and powered by, you know, a CR 2032, right? A little BIOS battery. It was all stored on the console itself on the Sega Saturn, but it really didn't have a hard drive like the Xbox did. Uh, and this was a problem. Basically when that little CR 2032 battery would die and those die, you know, even in computers, you know, they can die inside of a year or two. I mean, sometimes they can last longer, but usually not. Uh, as soon as that battery died, all of your save data on your Sega Saturn was gone. I mean, it was a horrible, horrible plan on, or, or, or uh, design, I guess I should say on, uh, on Sega's part. Now, if you have the action replay card that also updates the Ram on the Sega Saturn, that has where you can, uh, like copy from the internal storage, uh, of the Sega Saturn and you can, you can, you know, rescue your save games basically. But, you know, the Sega Saturn originally couldn't do anything like that. Now the mode, uh, the Terra Onion mode that you put in there will actually can save all your save games to your SD card that you put, you know, the same games on. Um, but anyway, so that wasn't an issue with the Xbox, but it wasn't the first, uh, it wasn't the first console to have what could equate to an internal hard, an internal hard drive, but it was the first one to have a traditional internal hard drive. Uh, again, it was a full on 3.5 inch disc drive, you know, classic stuff, glass platter, the whole thing. And now the memory card, like I mentioned that you could plug into it, can, it could actually copy save games from the hard drive. You could transfer them over and everything. I mean, it was was a nice little, nice little setup, but it's an interesting thing that, you know, that it, it was the first for a couple of those actually really no other system. Well, no, that's not true because you have internal hard drives, you know, with, with systems all the time now. So they, they really, they, they set the standard with that. Uh, but I, they never really meant for it to be replaceable as to where now, you know, expanded storage on, on, uh, on game consoles is incredibly commonplace. Uh, but they, they really set the tone for that. Another fairly unique feature for, for the Xbox. Now it did have like Microsoft had Xbox live in mind when they were developing the Xbox itself. This is you know, having the ethernet port built into it and, and, you know, thinking about the, about online being a central part of the experience was really, really key to the Xbox. It wasn't the first one really to do that, but you know, or to have that technology built in, right. Um, you know, the dreamcast, you know, would you, you could have, I, I mean, there, there are plenty of systems where you could add, 
uh, an Ethernet adapter. I mean, you could even do that with the GameCube. You could do it, you know, with the Dreamcast, uh, or you can hook up a modem to the Saturn, you know, and so on. I mean, other systems had online play, uh, you know, available, but where it was part of the system from the ground up, that was certainly unique for the Xbox as well. And that allowed for, and man, I wish this was still a thing. Like I said, in, in many ways, Microsoft, you know, thought about the Xbox like it, almost like it was a PC, like it was a gaming PC, right down to the fact that you could do LAN parties with, uh, with your Xbox. And as hilarious <laughs> as it would be to see a little kid with the backpack that it would take to, uh, to carry an Xbox to, you know, his little friend's house and everything, because it's so damn massive. Uh, I mean, even more funny to see him holding the Duke, you know, holding the controller in his hand. Um, <laughs> you could do it. Uh, I mean, it's, 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 it really is. I mean, you can't help but laugh when you think about the fact that Microsoft considered the Xbox to be not portable, like the Nintendo switch or a DS or a Vita or anything, but portable as in like, you would actually take that to somebody else's house and you would plug it into another person's Xbox, have a separate television going the whole thing. And you would have a little land party that they would consider this something you would carry with you is mind boggling to me at the same time, as ridiculous as that is, I love the fact that the original Xbox, if you had four Xboxes or Xbox, I that you could do 16 player multiplayer, you know, in one room, uh, you know, at a buddy's house, or I know where there were game stops that would hold, uh, or actually it was electronics boutique at the time there was electronics boutiques. So, you know, they, they'd have like in a, they'd have the screen set up like in a square fashion. They'd have the Xboxes all connected to each other, you know, and everybody's rocking Jedi Academy and it was fucking great. Right. Or rocking halo or whatever. Uh, or even in movie theaters, they would do that sort of thing too. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome feature to have, to have direct, you know, LAN, uh, uh, connection, uh, capability. Now you could only do up to, I'm fairly certain you could only do the four, uh, Xboxes, but that was a nice, nice little feature. And it's one that I, I don't think any, any other consoles ever really bothered with. Um, now, Granted, you know, and I'll also understand the Xbox had the, the four ports, right? Where I'm still kind of baffled that, that Sony never made that a standard in the PlayStation of having four controller ports because like everybody was doing that at the time, you know, uh, Dreamcast, you know, N64 game, which started at GameCube and, and so on. And yeah, I know you had the, uh, the controller, you know, work you had the, what do they call it? The four port tap or whatever that, that you could plug into it and it would expand a PlayStation to allow for four controllers. But the fact that it was never stocked, that always seems like a weird, cause it's such an inexpensive addition to a console, uh, mind boggling, but regardless, it, you know, the, the, the land party feature, uh, basically of the, where you directly connected them of the, the Xbox, uh, was a brilliant move in my opinion. And, and it really is a shame that, you know, more consoles didn't jump on that. Uh, but I get why, I mean, also, you know, because just jump one more generation and online is a key feature, um, of anything that you're doing. I mean, even for the Wii, you know, or any, any game console, it became a key feature. So I get it. Now, another quick feature that, uh, the Xbox did have, but was kind of wonky. 
it technically had a DVD drive. Again, they just tossed a bunch of computer parts into this thing, <laughs> traditional computer parts at that. Um, it really had a DVD drive, but the software, unless you had, you know, like there was a controller that you bought and a, the, the specific IR adapter, if that wasn't plugged into, um, you know, into the Xbox itself, uh, the software would tell you, and I guess there was a way to get around this. And it really was, I mean, it, it was a cheap move, right? Because with the, you know, that would allow you to play DVDs if you had that in, finish my sentence. It was a cheap move though, because ironically, it, I mean, in my opinion, I think the DualShock controller for the PlayStation 2, and even as far as Blu-rays go with the PlayStation 3, though, you know, more or less same functionality, is probably the best remote control for, even though, yeah, it's wired, but probably the, or most of them are probably the best uh, control scheme for navigating a disc, uh, you know, DVD or Blu-ray ever. I mean, I love it. It's just solid and works and makes sense and and you get it, you know, and you get some like on-screen prompts and bingo. So for, for, for Microsoft to like force you to buy a remote, you know, a traditional, like what looks more like a traditional TV remote, you know, I mean, it was just, it was cheap. It was just a way for them to get an extra 30 bucks out of you to play DVDs when they should have allowed for it to be out of the box. I get it. They were trying to offset some more of that cost, which they never recoup on, you know, on the, on the original Xbox. But that, yeah, that, that just came off. That was a bad taste. So it could play DVDs, but you know, it, it was, it was, it was a weird situation. There were ways apparently to get around it. And of course, once you modded uh, the, the Xbox, um, it wasn't an issue anymore. And, you know, again, that thing is a little powerhouse, especially for its day, uh, or, you know, as in a technical powerhouse, not just an industry powerhouse. Uh, there's still a, vi a viable uh, community around it and a vibrant, I should say, community around it. And it's still viable to own one today, uh, in my opinion. Uh, there, it, It's a, just a, it's, I'm not going to call it a great little system because it's not little, but it's a great system. And there are games available for it, even though, you know, the Xbox brand and the Xbox line of consoles has done a good job of being backwards compatible. Even though a lot of that, you can kind of go back and play the stuff, uh, you know, some of the Xbox uh, classics. I still think there's a beauty in the original hardware. And, you know, speaking quick of the original hardware, before we get into basically the end of the Xbox, then we get into our top eight. To me, maybe the most important thing that the Xbox gave us. Or actually, I want to I want to inject something that I wasn't originally going to talk about, but I'm going to put it here because this was a feature that I was really excited about. Practically sold me on this uh, on the Xbox. Uh, on getting one, but it never really it never really, you know, uh, uh, lived up to its promise. It never, it was something that they put in there, but you know, that they, the feature they gave it, but it was only really specific games that could take advantage of it. And, and again, it just never really lived up to the hype. It never lived up to the promise, but it was a feature that they put in because so many people were asking for it. The feature that I want to mention was the ability in certain games to play, to put in your own soundtrack, meaning you could put, you know, like MP3s onto the hard drive inside of the Xbox, right? Onto the Xbox's hard drive. And you could use that music 
um, you know, in certain games. And that music would play in the background instead of the music that traditionally came with the game. This was a brilliant feature. It was at the time. I think it was the most talked about feature other than maybe the land parties. It was the most talked about feature by the, shall we say the gaming community in New York that I was a part of. Uh, everybody was excited for this, you know, and when you got project Gotham racing and you're thinking, wow, I could play whatever music I want. I mean, cause you think of it, like think of like Gran Turismo and, you know, and some others are like sled storm. And, you know, a lot of these games say from the play from the, uh, you know, PS one where you had good music in it, but it got repetitive after a while. You know, you can only hear, okay, that's not true. I can listen to Dragula forever, but you can really only listen to Dragula for so long. Right. And then it's like, oh, you know, I keep playing Sledstorm, but for fuck's sake, let me put in another song, you know? And, or you could think of a lot of games, like a lot of flight games, you know, or, you know, flight simulators and other things where I would love to choose my own music. Can I please play kickstart my heart when I'm doing the death star trench run? Right. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. And Microsoft, you know, was touting this feature thing is, is, uh, and I don't know where, who, where the fault lies. I I'm going to guess with developers. Um, but it's just something that certain games allowed for it, but it's not something that a lot of people really, you know, took off and ran with, unfortunately, as cool of a feature as I really think that that was, and in many ways would still be today. Now it's easy enough. And maybe this is the argument that people would bring up. It's easy enough to turn off the music in the game. Right. And, uh, you know, just have the sound effects playing and then, you know, have your CD player at the time, you know, we're talking about 2001 here, have your CD player, uh, you know, just play whatever music off of your CD that you want. Yeah, you can do that. But then if you want it to like go in time with what you're doing in the music and make sense of the menus and all this other stuff, uh, that doesn't exactly work. You know, another part, and, and I think this might be part of what killed it as well, is that you have, um, licensing deals that get made with record companies that often will like side fund a game. For example, like the music that appears in, uh, Madden games every year, you know, it's usually like whatever the latest, greatest quote unquote, greatest, I wouldn't call them greatest, but you get what I mean. Uh, songs of the day. And that's a licensing deal being done between, you know, EA and whatever record company. If you removed the, if you were able to remove the music, I mean, why would the record company do that license deal? You know? So yes, game dev houses would lose out on some money if this feature were any more popular. And maybe that's what was going on there. Maybe that's why it never really uh, took off with developers because it was cutting into uh, really some, some, uh, you know, lucrative deals, uh, that would even get their, you know, either give them more profit or even make their game viable, uh, to produce monetarily. So now the other great feature, or I wouldn't, I don't know if you want to call it a feature, but the other great thing that the Xbox gave us is the Duke. Uh, what is arguably, some wouldn't say it's inarguable, uh, what is arguably the greatest controller, uh, in history. And I mean, I have sung the praises saying whatever. Uh, I have performed the praises <laughs> of, of what used to be called the bread box, uh, for many years on sovereign tech, uh, because it was a controller that felt good in my hands because, you know, I have ridiculously sized hands. I wore double XL gloves. You understand? 
And that means I need big controllers. And the Duke just felt so damn good in my hand. <laughs> and, and that's what they'd end up calling the, the Xbox controller, the original Xbox controller. And I don't mean original Xboxes in the original Xbox. I do mean that, but I mean, as in the original Xbox controller, because you're just a couple years down the line, Microsoft would release the, I mean, to, just to add more confusion to their, their naming schema, the, uh, Xbox controller S, which was the S just stood for smaller. Now as to why Microsoft went with such a gigantic, uh, console controller, you know, something that a lot of people don't realize is the amount of regulation. I mean, and, and it's, it's classic intellectual property regs, you know, uh, you know, it's patent law, but the amount of patents filed around console controllers, um, this is why <laughs> you don't always see a whole lot of, uh, innovation or you see very weird choices in design. Uh, for example, if you get like, you know, something that people would also say perhaps is the greatest controller of all time, that being the dual shock two, uh, for, you know, for the PlayStation two. So very expensive to get your hands on an original for one of those. Often what people will do is they'll buy a, say, you know, a third party one from a company like Hyperkin, right? Which they have their brave warrior line, which are fantastic PS2 controllers, by the way, I use, I have plenty of them and I use them all the time. Uh, an interesting thing to notice is that on the buttons themselves, the buttons, you know, on, on a PlayStation controller are generally, you know, X, uh, um, circle, square, triangle, right? You look at the, at the Hyperkin controller and it's not like it kind of looks like a triangle, but it has like an open bottom or kind of looks like a square, but it actually looks like a C, you know, standing on its head, uh, or you know, I mean, the, the X looks kind of weird. Like everything looks a little strange. All of that falls under patent law and, and they, they can't, they literally cannot put a square on that button or they'd get sued by Sony. So <laughs> I mean, you, you've got to grasp like why, you know, why, why some of these things don't change or why there's weird design choices. And a part of me wonders if they, if Microsoft themselves had to make that controller so fucking big just to get past a lot of uh, legal red tape. And then when they figured out the Xbox S and, you know, or maybe they, they could wait a couple of years and then a certain patent would be out or wh whatever the situation allowed for, for them to go with an S or maybe it was just because they went with a bigger controller because they were trying to appease adults, which I firmly believe they're going after that demographic. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, but I would not be surprised if it had to do with patents. Um, I also, it could just as easily be, you know, because who, what their demographic that they were going for their launch demographic, I could totally, you know, rock that too. Maybe it's a bit of both who knows. So anyway, I am infinitely happy and, uh, and grateful that they did decide to make the Duke. They decided to make a fucking controller for people with big hands. Uh, and you know, Hyperkin actually themselves have been remaking the Duke for years now. And, uh, I have, I also have those, uh, and very, very, <laughs> I mean, next to what's on my switch, you know, uh, for any other system that I bother to play where I can, I'm plugging in because it's just USB. I'm plugging in the Duke baby and using that. Uh, so I, I just, I love it now come around the time 
that I turned 24 or that I had turned 24. And that would have been May 12th, 2005 on that very day. In fact, Microsoft, I think it was on MTV. They had a, I remember watching it. They had a, not there's any other reason I'd watch MTV. Certainly not in 2005. Uh, they had their big announcement about the Xbox 360. Basically that day, that year, the, the, the original Xbox was done. That was the end of it. Discontinued, no longer supported only four years. It had a four year lifespan compared to the lifespan that the GameCube and to say nothing of the PlayStation two, which would appreciate nearly a decade of uh, continual software development for it. Uh, I mean, Microsoft would drop the Xbox like a bad habit. I mean, they, they just stopped right then in 2005. Again, it had only been around four years now, like we said, they never, never turned a profit. In fact, they lost billions on the hardware of the original Xbox. So of course it makes sense that they would just instantly stop it like that. And especially when they came out with clearly a, a you know, a much, uh, more cost-effective solution, uh, with the, with the 360. Uh, and then, you know, they just went forward with that, but you know, they made sure that the 360 had some backwards compatibility to it. And, and, you know, I, I think that that's a great feature, which ultimately, I mean, you could say Nintendo pioneered that in consoles. I would say the PlayStation really did, or particularly the PlayStation two, uh, pioneered backwards compatibility because all you had to do was put in a PlayStation one game. It did not require a super game boy. It did not require, you know, a GB player it didn't require any of that stuff. And add-ons like Nintendo were doing wasn't technically, I mean, it was more like sideward <laughs> or sideways compatibility, not backwards compatibility. So anyway, that was a smart move for the 360 because there were people who, you know, if you owned an Xbox, a lot of people were really passionate about it. Uh, at the same time, maybe a lot of people didn't see that as a big deal because if you were still into the Xbox in 2005 and 2006, you probably modded it which wasn't the most difficult proposition by comparison to other consoles of its day. Uh, but again, there's still a thriving uh, community. It is still a viable console to this day. And for what it is fairly powerful, especially, I mean, well, I don't, we don't have to talk about emulation with it, whatever, but there's a lot of things that you can do with that system. And there's some games you might want to rock, some of which you might run into varying challenges as far as backward compatibility, uh, backwards compatibility goes today. So with all of that said, why don't we go ahead and get into, no, I'm not going to talk about how it was originally shaped like an X. Everybody knows that story and it didn't end up looking like that. And what a shame, but boy, that thing was even bigger when it was just a giant X. But regardless, why don't we start talking about the games? Because that's really what we're here for. So we're going to give you a top eight. This is a top eight that I'm going to do. That is very different from other top eights because I basically have a list of Xbox games and I really can just pick and choose here, <laughs> you know, but cause I have more than eight. And so I'm just going to pick like eight out of this list and that'll be our top eight. Um, it's something that I, I kind of refined here is that there are a lot at this time, there were a lot of games that were cross-platform meaning there are a lot of great games available on the PS2 that were also available on the Xbox, vice versa. Um, 
even on some of them might be even be, you know, might've been available on the GameCube, say like enter the matrix, or you could have interesting situations like soul caliber two, where, you know, on each console, it'd be the same game, but each console had a different bonus character. But I basically, I'm trying to keep this top eight at games that were mainly, you know, that were more or less console exclusives, more or less. Uh, maybe they were available on the Dreamcast and other parts of the planet, but, you know, for America, uh, like they were console exclusives, uh, you know, here. So that's what I'm going to try and stick to. At the end of this, I am going to mention um, some the the top games for some listeners in the Sovereign Tech Telegram group, which they shared with me a bit ago. Uh, and that'll give me the opportunity to take a couple off of my list that I can just mention, uh, you know, <laughs> that I can mention because it, for them, it was their top game. Uh, so I will do that also. Uh, but why don't we go ahead and start breaking into it? And the biggest one in this, actually, I, I talked about this game quite a bit on, I think I did the top Android sovereign top eight Android games for 2020. And I talked about how this was sort of an iOS exclusive. Uh, well, when it originally came out, it was an Xbox uh, exclusive. Would eventually get a special edition that would put it out on PC uh, and some other platforms. But the experience playing it uh, on the Xbox back in the day was second to none. And it was one of the later games in the Xbox's life. Certainly one of the games that I think many people actually ended up playing on the Xbox 360 more so than they played on their original Xbox, because it would end up coming out in 2005. And that game is Jade Empire. Uh, I'm not going to rehash a lot uh, that what I've, what I've said about this game, other than this game, you know, if you're looking to reach adults, this game is adult. Uh, very adult. I mean, there are, you know, and there's great relationship stories within it. In fact, very non-traditional relationship stories within it. Uh, you can go on YouTube and find a lot of that stuff to, you know, just to see it happen. I mean, it was doing a lot of Witcher three shit before, you know, Witcher was barely even a thing. Um, it's similar. And it, I mean, it's made by Bioware, you know, it's very similar to Knights of the old Republic in that you have, I mean, but it's all set in, you know, in, in ancient, uh, in an ancient Asian setting. Okay. Uh, but it's similar to Knights of the Old Republic where you can choose to be, you know, it's role-playing and, and you can choose whether or not to be, you know, good or evil. And, and you have a lot of options in how you want the story to go. It's just a brilliant, brilliant game. Great fighting mechanics. Uh, I would argue the storyline might not be as shocking or as uh, interesting and in-depth as what would be done with uh, Knights of the Old Republic. But that doesn't mean that I still feel like that Jade Empire was a perfected product of what was done with the Knights of the Old Republic series for Star Wars. Uh, I mean, again, same developers. Uh, and they just, they, they, you know, they learned from that. What I mean, even though Knights of the Old Republic, uh, both games, I think, are tremendous. Jade Empire, you know, really like, I'm not going to complain about anything in Knights of the Old Republic is my point, but there is a certain pacing and fluidity of motion that Jade Empire has that aspects of Knights of the Old Republic does not. And I think they learned their lesson and really, I just, I think Jade Empire is a perfect game. I'm so glad that it is, you know, it's available as a special edition. I mean, you can even get it on GOG today. 
Uh, just a brilliant, brilliant game. And probably the game that I would put at number one for the Xbox. Uh, there's one game that might match it, but we'll get to that one. Uh, let's go on to, let's go to number two. You know, I was going to do Knights of the Old Republic because for a lot of people, that's where, you know, where they first experienced Knights of the Old Republic and the story of Darth Revan uh, would have been on the Xbox. Uh, because that's a game that while yes, would get great play on PC would never see the PlayStation two or the GameCube. I mean, this was the, this is the place that the masses really got to experience that game. Um, and that's true for actually a lot of star Wars games. Uh, in fact, something that could have made this top eight was there is a special edition of Starfighter, of star Wars, Starfighter, where you're going around in the, you know, the, the N one, right. The Naboo Starfighter that still has never been released on any other system. I mean, you can play Starfighter on PC. Uh, you know, there, there's other consoles you can play it on, but that special edition version, which was well done on the Xbox, uh, is only playable there. Just like Obi-Wan, Star Wars Obi-Wan. Now, you could argue that game's, you know, a flaming turd, but it's only available on the Xbox. So it had, you know, Xbox had a lot of, uh, did have a fair amount of exclusives in its day. And, you know, having Star Wars exclusives, especially at that time, regardless of what people thought about the prequels, it was still the hot property, you know, as to where I don't know that having Star Wars exclusives today is going to do a whole lot for you. Back then it did do something for you. And Microsoft was wise to try and, you know, secure those. Um, so I could certainly have done Knights of the Old Republic one and two, but that's like on everybody's list. So why don't we, why don't we skip that? But let's talk about, I guess the competitor for perhaps Jade Empire's number one slot. And that would be a sequel to a Dreamcast game. Uh, and the sequel is called Jet Set Radio Future. Now in America, you would know it's for the first game in the series is Jet Grind Radio. Um, why the name change? I, I have no idea, but they went with the proper naming uh, for the Xbox exclusive, that being Jet Set Radio Future. If you know Jet Grind Radio, if you or Jet Set Radio, if you want to call it that, if you know what that game's all about, the cell shading, you know, the roller skating, the tagging, meaning, you know, the spray painting and all that, you know the score. It's a unique looking game, uh, lots of fun, very, not just unique looking, but very unique mechanics with the roller skating. I love the fuck out of this game, out of that whole series. It is another absolute mind boggler as to why Sega has not picked up and ran with this. Uh, I know why they've had issues with re-releasing these games. And that comes down to, like we talked about earlier, the licensing of music. Uh, it's an expensive proposition to re-release some of these games. But uh, this, this is, if I had a top 100 games of all time, both Jet Set Radio Future and Jack Grind Radio would show up in that top 100. Um, and that's for all consoles, all games, all times they'd be, they'd both be in there. Uh, it improved on everything that was done in Jack Ryan radio. Uh, there's, you know, it's cool. It, again, it's got the unique mechanics, uh, and the look wouldn't be as unique. There'd be some that would come in and try to copy it like 13 and some others that by that time. Um, but when that came out in 2002, bait on being practically a launch title, uh, that, that definitely got a lot of people interested you know, and it certainly got me interested as well. And it was something that I put many, many, many hours on, on my Xbox. Um, moving on, let's go to a number three. Number three is, I mean, Jet Set Radio Future. I don't think anybody would be too surprised to have that on the list. 
Jade Empire, I don't know how many people would mention that. This is one that I think a lot of people, unfortunately, have forgotten about. But it's a brilliant game, and it's a brilliant game for a couple of reasons, but amazing in that it was at a time that games based upon movie licenses were not were generally considered a bad idea or, you know, gamers were never really excited for this sort of thing uh, because, you know, movie, just like movies based on games were considered to be largely bad minus say mortal combat. I'm not saying I agree with that statement, but that's, you know, the popular sentiment uh, games based on movies were considered to be the same problem where often enough they'd be, you know, just a shit show. This was not the case with the Chronicles of Riddick escape from butcher Bay. This is a game that has also been updated and re-released in recent years with, uh, they renamed it to Assault on Dark Athena. Uh, apparently, Vin Diesel claims to be a pretty hardcore gamer, and he opened up his own, he had, what is it, studio, Tygon Studios or whatever it was. And apparently he was really, really deep into the development of this game. Certainly he lent his likeness and voice work uh, to it. It had an awesome story. Uh, it was somewhat of a, it was a tie in and kind of a prequel to the movie, the Chronicle of, uh, the Chronicles of Riddick. Uh, I think it took place just after dark fury, which was an animated movie that took place between pitch black and Chronicles of Riddick. Uh, this is a great third person action game, uh, great stealth action. And I mean, right fucking up there with metal gear solid. Uh, I don't know why this game doesn't get remembered as readily as it should. Uh, it was a brilliant, brilliant game. Um, and I mean, at, when it came, when it got re-released as uh, assault on dark Athena, it would end up on multiple you know, platforms at that point, it would end up on windows, you know, and uh, PlayStation three and so on. It would get re-released on 360. but it was originally an Xbox exclusive and just a tremendous game, great storyline, everything about it. I mean, it gave us a lot of hope at the time that, wow, Vin Diesel is going to do a video game studio. Uh, he might like, this isn't just a gag. This isn't just some stupid money making scheme. He's serious. He wants to make great games. It gave us that kind of hope. Now I'm not saying that it went anywhere. Uh, and I don't know that this game sold necessarily well, partly because I don't know. I don't think Chronicles of Riddick did very well either, even though I think that's a fantastic movie and one of my favorite movie franchises overall. Uh, this is, this is great stuff. Uh, Again, you can play it in better ways and on other systems, but it was, I think, revolutionary at the time uh, because it was genuinely a, like, and there are even references of things that happen in Dark Fury, or not Dark Fury, in um, uh, Escape from Butcher Bay. There are references to Escape from Butcher Bay in Chronicles of Riddick. I mean, it, it had great tie-in, uh, uh, you know, there were a lot of uh, connecting tissue, a lot of connecting tissue, a lot of, yeah, that we'll call it that. Uh, within that whole series. And you don't always get that with the video games. Sometimes the video games are really just an afterthought. Uh, but you know, between this and enter the matrix, I felt like we, we had a couple of really great movie video games, uh, which again, were exceptionally rare at the time. So, uh, that's, that's at my, uh, my number three, my number four is a very, very rare bird. Uh, my number four is a game called steel battalion. Why is it a rare bird? While the Xbox would actually do, and I don't know, somebody at Microsoft just, just loves mechas. Like they, they just love giant, you know, human controlled uh, robots, <laughs> robot vehicles. Um, 
this game, Steel Battalion, while, you know, the Xbox would actually have a lot of mecha games like Phantom Dust uh, and maybe something else that might appear on this. I'm going to save the name because it might appear on this list. Uh, but Steel Battalion was, yeah, you're controlling a giant robot. You're in a mecha. Okay. And it came, the game cost like 200, 250 bucks because it came with a controller called the Mega Jockey 9000. And it was this huge controller with, I don't know how many fucking buttons on it. <laughs> I mean, just a stupid amount, like a hundred buttons or something. And you couldn't, I mean, you kind of could play the game without it, but not really. You, you needed this controller and, but the game was so expensive because it came with this custom controller that was made for the game. Now, I think that's a great experiment in itself to sell custom controllers for games. Uh, the Dreamcast would, would kind of toy with that, that idea, like with, um, you know, fishing controllers for Sega Bass Fishing or Seaman or, you know, like th there's, there's games where, where that sort of thing had been tried before. But Steel Battalion, I mean, just took it on steroids and uh, awesome. I mean, just go look it up, go, go look up a, a full on real review where you can see the controller, not, not, you know, just listening to me on a podcast about it. Um, but there were other games in the series. Uh, in fact, another one, there was, was it line of contact? I think that came out a couple of years later in 2004, um, that, that also used that same controller. So at least you didn't have to buy the controller again. That's nice. Uh, but really, really, uh, I mean, just, it immerses you when you get a look at that controller, you can just see it, how that game really immersed you in some great mecha action. And I, I love getting into mech and, and, you know, and going to town. I, I always have a great time with it. Like something I've been playing on my Saturn a lot was uh, uh mech warrior two. Fantastic. <laughs> and even in that, even in that really weird, uh, you know, low end polygons, just fucking awesome. Going on to number five, Panzer Dragoon Orta. Uh, my love of the Panzer Dragoon series is well known. Um, I mean, half the reason that I have that Sega Saturn sitting, you know, that modded Sega Saturn to my right was to play one of the hardest games to emulate because they've long lost the source code and I've been dying for a remake. We might get one someday, but who the hell knows? Uh, that being, you know, Panzer Dragoon three or saga, uh, now Panzer Dragoon Orta was, didn't, I don't feel like it included as much of the RPG elements that made, uh, Panzer Dragoon Saga so great, but it kind of got it right. And it played a lot more like Panzer Dragoon two. Uh, and it actually, if you unlock, there was tons of unlockables in this game. One of the things I love about Orta is that it, it has basically has an entire encyclopedia in it about the, the world of Panzer, uh, which, you know, I just soaked up. Uh, I, I thought that was so cool. And it also had a complete version of the original uh, Panzer Dragoon that you could unlock within it, which I thought was a just a great bonus because even then, you know, when that came out, which I think it, it came out in Japan in like 2002, came out in America in 2003. Uh, it wasn't the easiest thing to get your hands on a Saturn at the time, uh, let alone, you know, games for it, even though the Saturn wasn't, uh, you know, even 10 years old really at that point. Um, still it was a challenge. And so, you know, that, that was very enticing for me. Uh, this is reason enough, really, I think to own a classic, uh, you know, to own a classic Xbox because yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's just one of those great on rails experiences 
uh, that that seem kind of rare. And I don't know why they're so rare because like Nintendo for some, maybe, you know what? It's just rare in America because it's bigger over there. Like you have uh, sin and punishment, the sin and punishment series in Japan, which is massive, even though we finally got those games in America a few years ago. Uh, There's plenty of series out there that, that are into the, you know, the the unreal shooters. Um, But it's rare that we get them here and kudos to, again, this is one of those places where the Xbox really took advantage of games that I think were clearly meant for the Dreamcast. Uh, but because that was discontinued, you know, they, they went for the Xbox and it was a win. Uh, so nice inclusion there. Uh, that's, that's at our number five. Let's go to number six, number six. I am going to put a star Wars game in here. And I know it's a game that's available on other platforms, especially now. In fact, it's been re-released, uh, even for the switch as well as the PlayStation, you know, it's, it's available out there. Uh, on various eShops um, and has been re-released and available and heavily modded on PC for many, many years. Uh, I mean, going on almost 20 years now. And that is Jedi Academy. Uh, Jedi Academy, I originally played this on the Xbox. And when, you know, it's it's more of, I mean, it gives you similar options to Knights of the Old Republic where you can choose to be good or evil. Um, I've talked about this game over and over again, so I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but unlike Knights of the old Republic, which is more of an RPG, this had a more first person shooter. It was really, I mean, it played better as a third person, but it was more of a first person shooter styling. And so it was faster paced. Uh, but I still think it had a, a killer story. You had Kyle Katarn in it, of course, cause technically it was part of the dark forces series, uh, Luke Skywalker's. And I mean, everybody you want is there. And you have so many options to, uh, customize your lightsaber and you could use the double bladed lightsaber. You could do the dual wielding of lightsabers, uh, or the, you know, do the classic single wield, whatever. Um, and just the storyline options with it were, were fantastic. And I'll, you know, I'm spoiler here. I'm going to give it away. Uh, when you can do the ending where the character that you're playing, you basically kill your best friend and you end up on the bridge of a star destroyer controlling it. And like, you're in charge of the, you know, of the new empire. Damn Skippy, baby. <laughs> like that's <laughs> Those are story options that, I mean, the grapefruits you had to have to, you know, to, to put that in a game. Yes. Disney would never have the balls to do that kind of thing. And what a shame today, but it was awesome at the time. Fortunately, you can still play it today on, on many a platform. Um, but it was a, it was an awesome experience on the Xbox. I mean, it really, really worked. And I think that while, you know, with first person shooters, nothing's ever going to beat the keyboard and mouse, uh, because the game ultimately was best played in a more third person perspective. Uh, the, you know, the Duke did just fine as your control option for, you know, for, for playing that game again, even though it was more of a first person shooter, uh, you know, in in the abstract, uh, it's an awesome, awesome game. You you can't go wrong with that. You know, again, I mean, I could have put Knights of the old Republic on here, but I'm going to go with Jedi Academy again, a game where that's where I think a lot of people really cut their teeth, uh, on, on that franchise. Um, and, and that was weird because like they were releasing its predecessor, uh, that being Jedi Knight two, uh, that, that was, that was on other platforms. Like, I think that was on PlayStation and GameCube, 
but then no, none of them got Jedi Academy. And I, and I, I know people want to argue which one's better, but I really, I, I think Jedi Academy is the best in that series. That's just my personal opinion. So, and only on Xbox, as they say, well, not really, it was on PC, but you know what I mean? Uh, so let's, so there's our number six. Let's go to number seven. Number seven, I'm going to give to, this is a game that probably most people would not put on their list and they don't put it on their list. I think out of fear and not to say I don't respect and understand where they're coming from, but understand how old I was. The, uh, (laughs) as Jewish as I am, the, the red blooded American male that I think I saw myself as at the time. (laughs) And I'm not proud of it. Uh, Dead or alive, extreme volley, volleyball. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting that in number seven. Uh, you know, the dead or alive series, which, uh, I think most people in America got introduced probably through, which I think it was a launch title for the PS2 was DOA two hardcore, uh, basically, you know, dead or alive Two hardcore. Uh, this is a famous and infamous fighting game series, a great fighting series. I mean, the mechanics are awesome. And, and I don't mean like the body mechanics. I mean, like the, the controls are, are really, really slick. Uh, I, I love the dead or alive series. Now it's known for the fact that, uh, uh, the, the, the females in the game are a little lifelike, maybe not, maybe not like, you know, life, lifelike, but let's just say in the game, gravity takes its effect. Okay. There are, um, breasts bouncing there. Everybody's kind of scantily clad. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a game series very much well-known for this, right? Dead or alive extreme volleyball basically took that formula, you know, of the dead or alive characters took all the gals from it. And they said, all right, let's just toss it in, you know, even more scantily clad, even more bouncing and let's toss it into a volleyball game. And you know what? Get past the, you know, the, the accusations of sexism within the game. And that's a damn fine volleyball game better than beach spikers, you know, which was a, uh, that was a Sega property, right? That ended up on the GameCube. I think that was Sega. Uh, I, I think it's just a, it's a fun game and it really brought in, I mean, it, it's very Japanese, like without question, it's very Japanese, but I think it, it tested the waters far more Basically what, what I'm going to say to you is that you would have never gotten final fantasy X two. If you didn't get dead or alive volleyball, uh, because like the whole thing about, you know, like dressing the gals and having all these like customization options and all this other stuff really hit American chores with this game, how this ended up on the Xbox. I don't know. I think the only reason is, is that Microsoft again, going for that adult demographic was willing to take the risk on it and was not skittish like Nintendo or Sony. And and they went with it and they released it. Now it didn't do good money. Uh, American sensibilities didn't go for it. There have been sequels for the volleyball, for the dead or alive extreme volleyball series. Uh, hell you can play the third one on the switch. You can only buy it in the Japanese eShop, but you can play it there. Again, you know, they, they basically, the, the, the developers decided, well, there's no real money to put this into America, good or bad thing, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think this was an incredibly risky game. Uh, I think that 
you know, maybe the, and, and it's unfair to go after this game as being like, this is the game that introduced, you know, bouncing tits in America in, in video games, uh, ready to rumble boxing was doing it well before this was okay. Uh, I mean, and you know, we could talk about dark stalkers, you know, and, and characters, you know, Morgana and, you know, whatever. I mean, give me a break. Okay. But it is a game that when you allow yourself to have fun with it, it's a genuinely fun game. And there's a reason they still make more of them. And it's not just because of the gals. Uh, in fact, I'd love shit, you know, give me, well, so like the PlayStation two, you did have outlaw volleyball, which I think took some elements, took some cues from, uh, from, from dead or alive extreme volleyball. Um, but I mean, I, you know, volleyball is one of those games that actually works really well or one. Yeah. One of those sports that works really well as a video game. And, but it's also one where it's rarely done kind of like dodgeball, right? I mean, you have great, you know, super dodgeball, you have great dodgeball games, but they're few. And I, I'd love like a beach bikers two or three. I don't know why we haven't gotten that because I mean, those, those are really slick games and great multiplayer, especially if you got four people lined up with you. I mean, you're in for a time now me at that age, at that time, did I enjoy, you know, the scantily clad gals and all that other stuff? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, I did, you know, um, and I get why people didn't like it. I understand why it didn't sell well in America and all this, but I think it's a damned risky game. And again, a fun one, if you get past certain elements of, it. uh, if those elements are even a problem for you. Right. So yeah, I'm going to include it here because everybody seems to just want to ignore that it ever happened. No, it happened. I thought it was fun. I enjoyed it for what it was. It had an audience. You could say an immature audience if you want, but I'll give Xbox credit for doing some very unique games. I mean, this is something, you know, the 3d revolution that really happened. Somebody emailed me and, and I'm going to get to it on an actual sovereign tech. Someone emailed me. I forget who it was saying that I forget what I had said. I'd have to look at the email again, but I forget what I had said was like the best console ever. And the guy basically said, yeah, but what, if you were, you know, on a stranded on an Island, what system would you want? You know, would you really want there? And I was thinking about it when I read the email, I got this email some months back and I was like, yeah, you know, I'd probably take a PlayStation one with me. Why? Because while it doesn't, it may not have like the greatest games in history. It has the weirdest fucking games that you could just play forever and that are very unique and have never really been tried again. And I always respect that with a system. I, I get tired of like the tried and true, you know, I mean, how many Maddens a year are you going to get? We're going to get two or three of them now. I mean, it just, it gets nuts. You know, when you, when things get formulaic, like Assassin's Creed was cool for about two or three games. And then it just went downhill. Uh, I love it when there's experimentation and we don't get, there's a lot of that in the indie scene or there's a bit of that in the indie scene, but you know, Sony was really backing these wild ideas back in the nineties. And I feel like Microsoft in many ways was doing somewhat similar with the Xbox. And it's just a shame. We don't have anybody really willing to take that risk and not just let an indie developer, like have all the risk beyond them, but maybe fund some of that risk and see what happens. So anyway, there you go. There's our, um, there's our number is that our number seven. Yeah. Our number seven is dead or alive, extreme volleyball. I mean, the Xbox also had dead or alive three, which was tremendous. Great fighting game. But let's go to our number eight. And I was going to, you know, I, I said earlier that there might be another mech game on, on here. I was going to go with Mecha Assault 2 Lone Wolf. Um, that was, boy, if there was ever vindication for Xbox Live, 
that was it. Um, I, I, I could go with that. I could go with Ninja Gaiden, which, or Ninja Gaiden, uh, which included, you know, Ryu Hayabusa, who of course is a dead or alive character. Uh, that, that was, that was really slick stuff. I mean, there's so many games that I could choose from, but I'm going to go with, uh, all right, fine. I'll talk about it. Let's talk about Halo, shall we? (laughs) I'll include that. I don't think, I don't think you can really have a conversation about the Xbox without talking about Halo. Um, Halo was, in fact, the Xbox was often jokingly called the Halo box because basically a lot of people felt the only reason you owned, um, the Xbox was for Halo. That's not an unjustified reputation. Uh, it is, it was a revolutionary game. It was a fantastic game. It is, it still plays like an awesome game. When you play the anniversary edition of the first Halo, uh, it is, I mean, some of those maps and, you know, you're driving around on the warthog and everything. I mean, it, it was, that was team action, individual action, unlike just about any, certainly any game on a console, but, yeah, it, it had a magic. I'll, I'll put it that way. I mean, it, it was awesome in its day. Halo two bumped it all up to a whole other level. You know, both of those games, I mean, Microsoft just, they, they won with, with Halo, you know, I mean, they, to this day, I don't think Sony really has, I mean, you could, you know, you could talk about uncharted, I think Sony has a reputation of being the console of final fantasy, but they would lose those exclusives eventually more or less. I mean, you, you know, the remake for seven is a different story. Um, even though I, I guarantee you once the, the remake of final fantasy seven plays out its course, it'll end up on other consoles. Uh, to this day, I don't think Sony really has a character that you think of that belongs to Sony. I mean, yeah, yeah. Jack and Daxter, uh, or, you know, there, there's some that I think you could try to imagine, but not really crash bandicoot crash bandicoots everywhere. Now he's not a Sony character, uh, might've been with the PS one, but not with the PS two for Microsoft to pull off getting a character, even though all these games are on PC now, but getting a character that was, you know, that was their mascot and that being master chief, that is one of the most remarkable feats in video game history ever to pull that off in the sixth generation of consoles to get your mascot unheard of. I mean, that, that, that says everything you need to know about the halo games, frankly, in my opinion. Um, but these games, I mean, even the first halo is still infinitely replayable in multiplayer, especially, uh, the storyline was great. Everything just, just felt right from the training scenario onward. Music was tremendous. The multimedia experience that they went with by, you know, publishing the books with fall of reach and all this, other stuff. you know, one day we're going to get a halo movie. And I imagine that's going to be some big shit. It's just, it, it's, it's one of the great success stories. Again, it didn't make it a profitable venture for Microsoft ultimately around the hardware, but it certainly gave Microsoft exactly what they needed. They needed a Mario and they got one. Um, And, you know, without Halo, there would be no, there, there'd be no Xbox brand just wouldn't exist. So it's gotta be on the list. So there's our top eight. I'm going to mention a couple other games quick, but just to recover or, you know, go over our top eight, number one, Jade Empire, number two, uh, Jet Set Radio Future, 
Uh, number three, Chronicles of Riddick, Escape from Butcher Bay. Number four, Steel Battalion. Number five, Panzer Dragoon Orta. Uh, number six, Jedi Academy. Number seven, uh, of course, we <laughs> Dead or Alive Extreme Volleyball. And then number eight is Halo. I mean, there are so many games that I could mention, uh, but some of them, you know, would end up also getting kind of re-releases elsewhere. Like Outrun 2 from Sega was awesome on Xbox, but you know, a couple years later, Sega would re-release it basically on expand it and re-release it on the PlayStation two, um, as, uh, outrun two was it 2000 or no, not, they just called it outrun 2006 coast to coast. Awesome game. Uh, I mean, you have Tron 2.0 killer app. That was basically Tron 2.0 from PC getting released on the Xbox. That was a nice expansion. Really cool. The project, uh, Gotham racing games, I mean, they're, they're fan, I, I think I mentioned Phantom Dust earlier. Uh, we talked about Conquer. I mean, Shenmue 2 we mentioned. You know, I mean, there's there are actually are a lot of games that I could have brought up um, that would easily fit on this list. But something I want to get to. So I actually got from uh, uh, members in the Telegram group, got a couple of interesting mentions. And I, because I asked, I was like, okay, give me your top games for these systems. And uh, Rob, of course, uh, my man, from uh, TIE Fighter Renegades, he gave his number one, which was uh, Crimson Skies. And so Crimson Skies High Road to Revenge was a specific release for uh, for, for the Xbox. This was an awesome, you're, you're like in this air pirate group. It takes place in the 1930s and you're flying around in prop job airplanes, you know, and, and doing the battles. Awesome flight simulator. Awesome flight simulator. Great story. It's, it's got everything. Uh, great customization, like of your planes and everything. I mean, just a really, really cool game. If Rob didn't mention it, it would have been in my top eight. Uh, it was definitely one of the bigger releases for the system. Um, I really loved it. He also mentioned burnout three, uh, which was also released on other systems. Uh, but that, that's a tremendous, uh, in fact, or no, it's burnout paradise. I think that they've re-released recently, but burnout three, that, that whole series is cool. But a Burnout 3, definitely one of the one of the best racers you can get your hands on. Uh, got another listener here who said uh, maybe the Warriors, they mentioned, for the original Xbox. That was also on PlayStation 2. That was based on the movie. But another case where you had uh, a game based on a movie, in this case actually doing, a, doing an interesting retelling of a movie and not just a tie-in, kind of like Butcher Bay or Enter the Matrix were, uh, that, that worked. And I agree. I, I think it's a great game. Um, that, that was a, that was a, that's a very nice touch, uh, and, and a, and a great game to add into, uh, the mix here. So I will include those as bonus picks, um, at the bottom of the top eight, but that's our top eight for the original Xbox. Again, a system that I think is, you know, there, there is, I mentioned magic earlier. There's a certain magic to playing on original hardware, even if it's modified hardware. Having an OG Xbox laying around, you know, it has a look. I got to tell you, <laughs> it has a look on your shelf or on your desk. Uh, and some of these games are really, really worth playing on there. Uh, granted, Xbox emulation has been, I mean, they've gotten it to a pretty good point. So it's not like you need an original Xbox to be able to do it. But, you know, there's, there's certainly arguments for, uh, you know, for having the original hardware and rocking it, but a great system. I consider it to be third place in the sixth generation. I think the dreamcast stands above it. I think the GameCube stands above it. And I think objectively the PlayStation two stands above it. 
Um, again, not a big deal outside of the U S but, and, and it was a total loss leader, but now, you know, the Xbox brand is a thing, even if I'm not going to get into a whole side subject around, you know, the future of the Xbox or the present of the Xbox, but while the Xbox 360 did really well, a part of me very much feels like they, they haven't matched that success. Uh, in, in any recent iterations, that's my opinion. And, you know, we have to wait and see with the newest version or with the newest Xbox, but, uh, yeah, you know, if you want to have a good time, take a look at some of the classics from, uh, from the OG days, uh, of, of the Xbox brand. And I think you're in for a really good time. Anyway, that'll be it for this special, this sovereign top eight little gaming grid special. And I will see all of you whoo, on the other side. Game over.